All right. You may continue. Oh, goodness. All right, so welcome to episode four of the, I guess, On Common Ground podcast. <laughs> we, I don't know. It's the Shannon Show at this point with Yanalise Mercado <laughs> and Shannon Dobbs, and we're talking about. Uh, I mean, we're you know, general general topic. We're talking about food security. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about um, creating solutions in the community. Um, a bigger conversation that we were having before we started this morning is is creating a movement. And, you know, really kind of the, the, the underlying reasons and the why of, of why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, honestly, that's such a, I feel like that's such a strong topic to talk about. Uh, we, we, I feel like there's been a lot of topics that this podcast can definitely talk about. But I feel like one important, podca- uh, one important topic that we can talk about is the movement. Because it's exactly what uh, not just On Common Ground is doing, but a lot of other organizations are doing as well. I, I, the way that you pointed it out, Shannon, about how the movement is and with On Common Ground, and obviously we don't want to primarily focus on On Common Ground, but I think it's important that we we uh, put those two together because of the fact that it, it, the way that you were explaining it made so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you, if you want to explain it real quick. It must have been a moonshot. That happens once, one out of a hundred times. <laughs> but it was really good. I thought it made complete sense. Anyways, movement. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, well, first of all, this isn't this isn't OCG's movement. This isn't my movement. This isn't something that we like popped up one day and said, "Hey, this is you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna start a movement." Yeah, the, there is a growing understanding uh, in the United States and around the world that food insecurity is something that is. I, I'm not sure what to use the word for uh, manufactured. Mm. It, it is uh, food insecurity in a first world country like like the United States is not because it, it doesn't happen because of food scarcity. Yeah. You know, we have more than enough food in the U.S. to feed everybody in this country. The problem is that the logistics solutions that exist and, and the, the, you know, basically how food is moved around the country and how it's, uh, you know, where it's go- where it goes to, uh, what retail stores access, like the locations of where everything is, is not evenly distributed and and it's unevenly distributed primarily along along um money yeah you know so so you've got areas that that you know are primarily uh, residents have less money uh you know including including rural territories like vast swaths of of rural environments Mm -hmm. and also inner city uh, urban environments so like in in, you know using reno as an example downtown reno is 51.3 percent under poverty level oof it's a huge number. So more than half of the residents of downtown Reno make less than $25,000 a year, some significantly less, like way less. Wow. And and so it, it starts to clarify for people, you know, when you start really digging in and, and starting to understand the why of, of, of food insecurity and food access, you start really, oh, well, you know, downtown Reno is, uh, is, is massively under poverty level. And as a result, there's no grocery store. Mm-hmm. It's not they're they're not two disparate situations. So so when you talk about the the tens of thousands of people that live in the downtown Reno area, and the you know what twenty three thousand university students that live down here, 
essentially the grocery stores, you know, that the for-profit industry has looked at this area and has done analytic programs and they've done checks and everything. And, and, and they've gone through the process of trying to figure out their return on investment. Yeah. And they've tried to figure out, okay, you know, if we invest massive amounts of money in putting a store into this area and we need to get that, we need to get that money back and we need to get it back in a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so the return on investment ROI is a metric that's used in the for-profit industry to determine, you know, essentially everything, mm-hmm. you know, where they're going to put their stores, uh, what their marketing is, who their target demographics are. There's so many different things that go into it. And as a business owner, you know, I recognize this, I understand this, and, and I use this in my business. But when you translate it over into the nonprofit world, it, it, it becomes very valuable and important as a tool to be able to understand the reasons why the mechanisms exist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got laws stretching back, you know, 50 plus years in America that, you know, that, that target socio, uh, certain socioeconomic groups, uh, people of color, minorities, vulnerable populations. You know, these, these are these are people that in, in, in many situations get targeted specifically by policy programs uh, to, to not get the same level of resources and the same quality of resources that other people in the community get. Mm-hmm. So when we start talking about why you know a movement towards greater food security exists it's it's really a lot of it is a recognition that these that these disparities do exist and they exist for a reason mm-hmm. you know it's not just somebody randomly flipping a coin and saying oh well you know i think we'll put a store in this area and not in this area um so i guess we get to the, when we start to really dig down into it and we start to understand why these mechanisms exist we start to get a better understanding of why we need to step in we as a community as a society need to step in and start creating solutions that that push back against these mechanisms and and in these kind of orders of things as they are as they exist and that's my understanding of what the movement towards greater food security is is a movement towards you know greater food justice and and uh, you know more egalitarian reach and, and and availability of nutritious food for everybody in the community, regardless of whether they make a hundred thousand a year or ten thousand a year or nothing a year. You know, people need to have that access, and people and 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 what happens is when you have this stuff spread out, and when you especially over the last forty to fifty years in America, you've had a situation where this food has really largely moved towards the outskirts of the community. So you've got these box stores that are some, sometimes 40 to 50,000 square feet mm-hmm. of food and they're way out in the hinterlands where you know you have to drive to get to it. And sometimes like I, I live out in in Sparks Spanish Springs area, you know there's a there's a Costco out there, there's a Walmart out there, there's all these different places that you can go to get food, but the buses don't run that far. Really? Yeah, yeah, uh, matter of fact the, the 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 public bus system actually stops 2 miles before my house up Sparks Boulevard. You question why? Well, they don't have basically the bus system has has determined that there isn't enough need or there isn't enough volume of traffic to be able to justify getting the getting the buses out oh, that far. That makes That's sense. yeah. So there's you know RTC and the government organizations, everybody that you know everybody's got their own metrics, their own yeah. analytics, and they've got to you know they've got to balance the expenses versus the benefit and the income and everything like that. And I mean, so you know the the mechanisms are largely the same, and you you really have to focus and 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 you kind of change yourself out of your own kind of perspective and really look at it from the perspective of the different companies and the different organizations and the people that you're talking about in order to really get a true understanding of like why these things happen. Mm-hmm. But okay, so so we understand why they're out there, but the thing is like that's not where the majority of the people that live in this community are. Mm-hmm. The majority of people live in neighborhoods and communities all over the area and some of those neighborhoods and communities just don't have access. So if somebody okay, so 
Somebody doesn't have a grocery store within a quarter mile or even a mile of where they live. So they got to get on a bus. They don't have a car. They got to figure out a way to get out there to where the food is. Mm-hmm. You know, so that takes resource expenditure. It takes maybe finding somebody with a car. It takes getting on the bus. But, you know, and if you're juggling kids or if you've got a disability and you're juggling a walker in a basket, that gets added into the calculation. And so, so you, you end up starting to see how barriers stack up for people. Yeah. And, you know, if you're, if you're somebody in your 60s or 70s and you've got a bum hip and you've got to try and figure and you don't have family in the area and you don't really have anybody you can rely on or anybody you can call for help, then what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, what, what, what are you going to do at that point? I mean, you can, you can hopefully use uh, Meals on Wheels or, or one of the other um, uh, programs to try and be able to get, a, you know, a meal a day. But, you know, that's not three meals a day. That's not even two meals a day. And sometimes, you know, sometimes those meals don't necessarily fulfill you or, or you know, take care of your nutritive requirements. Or sometimes they've got stuff in them that you can't eat. You know, if you're on diabetic uh, uh, insulin or if you've got some other uh, medical situations, a lot of times these, these, these food that's available in your area is actually actively hurting you. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about what, what we're doing with On Common Ground, you know, the, the, basically the reason why we started this nonprofit in the first place is because we're looking around at our community and at our system and we're recognizing that there's holes in the system where, where services don't exist. You know, you, you look at the basic model of what a grocery, a grocery store is, and it's a logistic system. You know, what it is, is a, it, it's, a, it's a brick and mortar retail location where customers can walk in and they can get food. But if you look on the other end of it, it's a retail location where the distribution components of food from all over the country and all over the world go to that location and they drop off and they deliver food supplies based on orders. So it's, a, it's either a pull uh, logistics assistance or it's a push supply economic system, but there's these systems that you actually have, have running in the background through all of these different brick and mortar stores. And, you know, ours is no different. And, and, and in order to be able to complete the process, in order to be able to tie into that distribution system, you've got to have that brick and mortar location. You've got to have an endpoint where all of that stuff can go to. And it's got to have refrigeration and it's got to have stock store and it's got to have a door that people can walk through and a point of sale system so that people can purchase things. It's got to have all of the mechanisms that people have come to expect and, and, and that are required in order to be able to complete that transaction. Because customers don't have any way to just tap into, you know, the wholesaler or the distribution network in the, in the U.S. You just can't, you can't, you can't do it. You know, if you want to reach out and be like, hey, I'd like to get a pallet of beans or whatever, I suppose you can probably buy it. But then where are you going to put it? Mm-hmm. You know, so, so retail stores uh, play a, a really critical role in this mechanism by creating that end user kind of supply at the level and in the, in the quantity that, that people can use in home. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal is the, the quantity. Like I can, go down to, I can go down to a store and get a 50-pound bag of beans. I love how you always bring up the beans in almost every episode. I, I love beans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a huge fan of beans. The cool thing, and, and it's not just beans. It's dried food that I'm really, really uh, uh, focused on. Because one of the things that we've got, kind of shooting off onto a side tangent, but one, one of the things that we need to deal with as a community is how do, we, how do we transport food and how do we save it and how do we preserve it in a way that it doesn't go bad before we get to eat it. Mm-hmm. And if you look, and, and again, you know, picking on the mechanism, the, the, the transportation and logistics mechanism, there's, there's multiple different ways to store and, and preserve food. And the, the one that's used the, the most in the U.S. and the one that people most recognize is, is freezing and refrigeration. Yeah. The problem is freezing and refrigeration are kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. And they take up a lot of uh, – they, they take up a lot of resources. They take up, uh, you know, electricity resources. They take up space in your, you know, in your, in your home. 
And so there's, you know, there's kind of, you know, depending on where you're at. I mean, if you've got a 2,000 square foot house and you can probably have a refrigerator in your kitchen and another one in your garage and, you know, you can go crazy. You can have half your house be refrigeration, still have enough space to live in. Mm -hmm. But when you get down at, at the lower socioeconomic models, you might be living, you, you got, you got people that might be living five deep in a place that's only like 400 square feet. You know, that, that's that's a very realistic outlook of, of some of the people, you know, some people's living situation. Yeah. So at that point, when you've got five people living in 400 square feet, where are you going to put the food? Yeah, under the bed. Under the bed. All right. So it, 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 if it's frozen food and you put it under the bed, how long is it going to last? Like two days. <laughs> like if that. If, uh, yeah, <laughs> honestly. So, you, you, so in order to really provide a positive impact for the lowest socioeconomic groups in our in our community and in our society we need to start kind of branching out intellectually and and, and look at what other options are available to us mm -hmm. so you know you look at dry at dried beans is a, is a great example of a preservation technique that is as old as time mm -hmm. i mean we've been we've been growing our own food for over ten thousand years and and as a as a as a species we're really good at preserving food and, and creating opportunities to be able to make it last a lot longer than just the season that we grew it in yeah um, but as a modern society and, and a technologically advanced society, what's really happened is that in large part, we've kind of stepped away from the model of, of understanding how to use that food. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how many people do you know that, that know how to cook with dry beans? My mom does. My sister does. I don't know much people, Shannon. <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're in a Hispanic household, so that's yeah. maybe a little bit different because, again, you know, ethnicity is going to play a role, too. So if you look at, at kind of the vast majority of U.S. residents, uh, very, very few people that yeah. have a good I, – I, I didn't until very recently. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, this is why – this is one of the reasons I'm so excited is this is new stuff for me. Beans. <laughs> yeah. Beans. Um, but uh, going back to um, the topic that we were trying to talk about in the beginning. Um, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Talking about our why. Before going into a tangent of beans, we, um, I did have a question that I had when you were talking about like movement and everything like that. Um, it kind of started, I don't know, I started questioning the fact that why do you feel like some people may be afraid of joining a movement? I feel like sometimes movements can be kind of intimidating, especially with the way that uh, media portrays it. Um, mm -hmm. especially, um, you tend to see a lot of the times like these riots and, 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 uh, you see these, um, these protesting and at the, at the times, at sometimes they can get out of hand and sometimes people sure. get scared of that. Um, so why do you feel like, why do you feel like people should join a movement? Yeah. Why do you feel like people should join the movement? Why do you feel like people shouldn't be intimidated by them? Well, I mean, a big part of it is that. The word movement a lot of times gets conflated with protesting. Yeah. So when you think about movement, a lot of, I mean, you know, especially when you see it in the news, most people are talking about, you know, the movement towards equality, the movement towards democracy, the movement, uh, you know, you're talking about big kind of political questions. You're talking about um, things that uh, maybe, maybe some groups don't want people to be in that mindset. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's, there's that. But I mean, what we're talking about is a movement towards health. No, yeah, we're, we're talking about a movement towards, uh, you know, basically a mass movement toward a, a better understanding and empowerment of food access and, and food knowledge and, and the tools to be able to use them. So it's really it's really what we're coming from is a place of positivity. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it, it's a difficult message to be able to get across to people. But this is uh, th this is a positive movement towards individual health and community health and societal health. 
and and it is and it's rapidly becoming a growing movement for a number of reasons and one of them is is climate change mm-hmm. you know we're we're at a point right now where we've got you know all kinds of food available to us but a lot of it is prepackaged a lot of it is you know uh, frozen or you know processed in different ways that kind of adds it, it it uses a lot of resources to be able to get food you know if you go down to the store and pick up your frozen dinner and you put it in the microwave and you eat it you got to think about the packaging cost you got to le- think about the, the transport cost where did it come from mm-hmm. you know how far away from my community is this food that I'm eating coming from and the thing is you go into the typical grocery store and you don't know you, mm-hmm. you, you honestly have no idea you'd have to look up the company and try to figure out where it came from in the region and everything like that. And then, and then you look at the processing cost and all of these different factors kind of enter into it. And and essentially the direction that we're coming from is eliminating a lot of that chaff, a lot of that 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 components and really digging down to what's basically available in our area. Mm-hmm. So you think about uh, OCG's grocery model. When we open the store, the food that's going to be in that store is going to be largely within a 250-mile radius of, of the store. So you've got Northern California and Northern Nevada growers are going to be supplying the store. And we're not going to have a lot, if any, processed foods in the store. And it's really going to be designed on, on a completely different model from what people are used to seeing. And and so in order for people to really, you know, kind of get their heads around that, that change of concept, you know, you've got to, you got to kind of get people on board. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned, though, the, the fact that this move or this movement is can be in relation to climate change because I was thinking about that too when you were talking about the whole process and everything the whole transportation and and you're going on this whole thing about like this whole tra- I don't know you you were going on about things about like I'm a logistics geek. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned those things because I feel like it's important because uh, at, at least for me personally I'm, my goal is to hopefully be able to work for National Geographic because I care about the environment and and hearing you talk about those things makes me feel like even if people who maybe who aren't as interested as in food insecurity which people should but the idea of having to be in 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 collision with with climate change i think that's a great way to look at it and be like look you you may not care much about people but you may care about the environment and this has to do a lot with the environment it has to do a massive amount to the environment I mean, there's so many different components that are involved with this. Like for, I mean, 40% of all of the food that the United States produces ends up in landfills and pig farms. That's sad. 40%, (laughs) almost half. And and if you look at just produce, like if you break it down and you look at just produce, like fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. it is 50%. So half of all the food grown in the U S doesn't get eaten. Mm -hmm. And, or at least not by humans, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously the bugs and the worms, they'll go in there and eventually get to it. Mm -hmm. But, you know that's a massive inefficiency, and 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 in that model, a lot of that efficient inefficiency is is things that add to the problems in climate change. So, um, you know, if you get end of life packaged food, like you, you get, I don't know, applesauce. You know, just pick a pick a product, doesn't matter what it is, mm-hmm. and you, you you go through the process of picking that apple, and processing it in applesauce and packaging it, and then sending it all over the country, and then if it doesn't get eaten, it ends up in the landfill. You've wasted the apple. You've wasted the fuel for the transport cost. You've raised, wasted the electricity from the storage uh, and, and processing and everything like that. And all of that has gone into kind of a negative net, a net value of, of that product. And then you multiply that by all of the food we've got available in the country. And it, it's, it's a huge deal. So, you know, by creating a store that doesn't have packaging in it, mm-hmm. 
what you're doing is so I mean you look at look at the inner city of downtown Reno. Uh, you know, perfect example. Where are people getting their food and what type of food are they getting? You're looking at people going in and they're getting, you know, a burrito or they're getting a, a, a you know, hot something or whatever that you can microwave, that kind of thing. Hot All pocket. of that. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm not, I don't do brands. Uh, <laughs> anyways. But, uh, you, you know, that, that, that once people eat that food, the packaging goes in the trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about Northern Nevada is that our waste management uh, uh, program uh, has a lot of holes in it. So we don't have a lot of, you know, a lot of the recycling that we could be doing, we don't do because the the programs and the, and the organizations that are supposed to be, you know, handling that, uh, you know, they, they don't want, they can't justify the expense of getting the equipment in place in order to be able to really maximize the, the recycling of materials. So if you get like uh, uh, packaging from food or even like the plastic bag that you throw your gro- you know you throw your garbage away in we don't recycle that plastic we don't recycle that in, that that those products and those all end up in the landfill yeah so one of the ways that you can i mean you know when you when you visualize like what are our possible what what are some of the possible ways that we can fix these problems or address these issues one of those ways and and, and one of the ways that really makes a lot of sense is to basically eliminating packaging before it gets to the retail, before it gets to the consumer. Okay. So if, if I'm buying beans in bulk uh-huh. and I'm putting it into a, into a, you know, a bin in the store and somebody comes by and they buy a pound of it, they're buying, they're buying exactly what they need at home and they're not getting all of the packaging waste that they need to throw away on the back end. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously they need to put it in something and, and, you know, we're going to supply bags for people to be able to take the stuff out in, but we're going to be encouraging people to bring their own materials, their own, their own bags and boxes and containers. And so over time, by, by kind of putting the logistic solution in place and then by working with the community to provide that education and to really have that two-way, you know, kind of dance, mm-hmm. you know, that, that conversation about why we're trying to go in the direction that we're going and how it's going to help everybody, then, you know, we're going to get more buy-in, hopefully, and, and people will kind of play the game. Like, oh, yeah, you know, I can get my spices over here, and I can actually bring my spice rack with me. Like, if I've, I've got, you know, I ran out of oregano, so I bring the oregano container down, you know, weigh it empty, you know, and, and you know, fill it up with the with, yeah. with how much we need, weigh it full, you know, kind of go through that process. Yeah. And, and that way, everybody's kind of working together for the, along the same goals. And that's really, to me, that's what the movement means. That is, is really kind of everybody being on the same page and trying to move in the same direction with an understanding that we need to get there and we need to move in that direction in order to uh, turn around a lot of the, of the society's ills and a lot of the problems that we're dealing as community and as, and as a society. Like let's meet halfway. Yeah, let's meet halfway. You know, I'm I'm going to supply the logistic solution that's going to give you the ability to be able to make you know smart choices. Yeah. In in you know in in greater number, like more smart choices than you can make. You know, if you don't have the support, if you don't have the help. Yeah. And by putting that structure and that scaffold in place, then then the community has a chance to actually build itself around it. You know, and 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 really kind of reinvent and 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 really have a better decision making capability of like what can I do to make myself uh, uh, healthier. And to improve my situation and to, and, you know, and, and then at the same time, you've got this passive benefit that, you know, we're, we're reducing the amount of packaging that's going into the environment. We're, we're reducing the amount of co- uh, the, the, the transport cost of food. So if we're, if we're setting a, a barrier essentially at 250 miles or 300 miles and we say, we're not going to purchase any food past this point, mm-hmm. then we're making a conscious decision as a community to really kind of focus our efforts on minimizing our, our, our transport footprint for the food that we eat. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of awesome if you think about it. Like that, that's a really powerful tool because 
up until this point, the conversation has primarily been on what we as a consumer can do to try and reduce packaging waste, to try and reduce food waste, to try and, you know, do all of these things. But the, the problem with that is that, that by, by focusing exclusively on the consumer, it's, it's kind of scapegoating. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you know what I mean with scapegoating? No. What it is is the community is is the logistics components like the, the warehousing and the and the wholesalers and the distributors and the retailers and the manufacturers and the processors and all the different companies that are involved in this process and the government, you know, are kind of putting the blame on, on the end user. Yeah, on okay, us. That's what I was thinking. That's okay. yeah, that's exactly what I mean. And it is scapegoating, and it it's negative, and it's not it's not true. You know, I mean, yeah, there's there's some food waste at the consumer level. Mm-hmm. But if you look, the, I mean, they've got pie charts in the federal government. You can go through and you can see the pie charts and it, yeah. it breaks down like what percentage is attributed to, you know, what industry. And so you've got a big percentage of food that never leaves the ground. You know, that, that, that um, uh, there's a term called ugly food. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and ugly food is, is essentially, so, so, you know, the U S marketing machine being what it is, uh, has, has created this image of what a perfect apple is, yeah. what a perfect pear is, what a perfect orange is. This is what this food looks like. Mm-hmm. And they put this out on magazines and they put it in advertisements and they put it on TV and they, they, they and essentially this gets in front of the consumer. And that is the educational mechanism that people get come to understand what food is. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody sees a big picture of a, of a beautiful round orange that's orange colored and it's mm-hmm. round and it's beautiful and it's exactly like every other orange they've ever seen, they say, oh, well, that's what an orange looks like. Yeah. And then you go down to a store and if you see an orange that's kind of got two heads coming off the side and yeah. it's maybe <laughs> like reddish and it's not orange, you know, and, and you look at that and you're like, well, what is that? That's not an orange. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so a lot of it's customer perception. And, and, the, and then so the marketing machine kind of teaches the customers and then the customers go into the store and they expect to see what they saw in that, you know, f- through an entire lifetime of being educated on this is what you're supposed to expect. Mm-hmm. So they go over and they look at the apples and they say, okay, well, there's the apples that look like apples. I'm going to put those in my bag. And here's some apples that don't look like apples and I'm going to leave them there. Mm-hmm. And so the retailers have to respond. And, they, and this is, you know, multi-generational kind of situation. Yeah. But the retailers respond by not ordering anything that doesn't look like an apple. Or anything that doesn't look like a carrot, you know, if it's got two heads or two tails coming off the side or whatever, uh-huh. the retailers won't buy it. And so what ends up happening is it gets folded back into the land and all of the nutrients and all of the water that went to, to creating that food end up getting wasted. Yeah. So that's, that's your, you know, so, so you got an ugly food campaign and this is part of the greater movement. Is you got an ugly food campaign to re-educate people on, hey, you know, just because it doesn't look like what you might be used to in a glossy magazine, it's still got great nutritional content, still got great flavor. You can chop it up and put it in a stew and nobody cares, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and what we're doing in this area is pretty cool because you've got a program called the Drop Program that uh, essentially goes out and, and, and purchases that kind of like, like level two, level three food from yeah. the growers at a discount cost and then they sell it to restaurant owners, mm-hmm. you know. It's a smart way to use that food. So so our society is starting to largely kind of go in the direction of, of being able to get a handle on what do we do with that component. Mm-hmm. We're still a long ways away. You know, we still have a lot of education to go. We still have more programs like what like our programs, like so many other programs in the community to educate people. Okay, so you can eat food that doesn't, you know, that, that looks a little weird and it's okay. You know, that's nature. Nature comes out and it doesn't always look like it's supposed to, you know, whatever. Yeah. But then you've got the transport process. So now, so, so you've gone from growing, you know, you've got a, a big percentage. I want to say it's somewhere in the 20% range mm-hmm. uh, of food ends up never even leaving the fields. 
then you got food that's lost in transport. Sometimes it's as simple as like a pallet of food ends up getting dinged around. And so the whole pallet ends up getting thrown out because the packaging gets damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, the, you know, if you've got refrigerated produce or, or frozen food getting transported, sometimes the refrigeration fails. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, it, if, it, if it doesn't stay down in the temperature that keeps it safe, you know, as a safety mechanism, the system basically throws that food away. You know, they, they've got to get rid of it in order to make sure that everybody's safe down at the, at, at the end of the transport. So that's X percentage right there. So you, you keep adding that up. Now you get down to the retail level and 21.7% of all food waste is at the retail level. You can tell I, I you can tell which part of it I care about most. Yeah, like yeah, some percentage, some percentage, twenty one point seven percent, and and it's really, it, it's 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 amazing when you look at it that one fifth of all of the food waste, more than one fifth of all of the food waste, happens in grocery stores, mm-hmm. in casinos, in hospitals, in schools, and and it's it's not at the consumer level; it's before the consumer level. And it's food that ends up, um, you know, maybe it's got a sell-by date that was put on by a manufacturer and it has nothing to do with any government regulations unless it was baby food. So some manufacturer put down an arbitrary sell-by date that they told the grocery stores, you have to sell this food by this date or Mm -hmm. throw it away. Yeah. And the grocery stores comply. They say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. We're going to do what you tell, tell us to do because we're the retailer. You're the wholesaler. You're the manufacturer, whatever. And so they rotate that stock out and they throw it away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we t- we're talking a lot in this podcast about the how, because primarily I'm trying to make sure that we have a, a, a channel, you know, a media channel that kind of gets into long form and really gets deep into the discussion of how. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, we don't want to be stopping our efforts at Reno, Nevada. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, we want people in Tacoma and, and people in Alabama and people in, you know, Southern Florida and people in, you know, Lubyanka <laughs> on the other side of the world. We want people all over the world to be able to have an understanding that, hey, you know, the model that you see of, of grocery stores, the, you know, kind of the Western model that, that's been created over a number of years and a number of decades, it's not the only, it's not the only choice. Mm-hmm. It's not the only game in town. And, and so if you've got a situation like, let's say you're out, you know, perfect example is the Nevada Urban Indian Territories. Uh, so you've got uh, uh, you got the Washoe area. You've got you know a bunch of different uh, kind of First Nations locations where people are living, and a lot of them don't have access to fresh, nutritious food. Mm-hmm. You know, be, and and largely that's because the traditional grocery model in the U.S. doesn't work in those areas. You know, you can't keep the doors open, and you can't keep that amount of staff, and you can't keep constantly cycling food through in an area that's got lower volume of people or that's got lower income. You know, like in downtown Reno is a perfect example people don't have a lot of money for, you know, really expensive food or, you know, this and that. And so, so for whatever the economic reason you, that, that can't support a traditional grocery store, you know, those areas just kind of lose out. And so what we're trying to do and, and, and what we are doing is, is pushing this message out that, that other options do exist. And that really kind of speaks to our why is that once you understand that these problems exist and once you understand that these inequalities are due to they're really caused by the way the mechanism works and they're, they're caused by, uh, the, the logistics decisions of for-profit companies and, and the reasoning, you know, basically a shareholders needs over the community needs and a lot of these different things. Then you start to realize, um, hopefully that, that it's not just a choice to move in this direction and to create these solutions. It's really becomes an, an imperative mm-hmm. for societies and for, for communities to, to either move in the direction of, of trying to figure out alternate ways to provide healthy food access for their communities 
or knowingly step away from that and turn their back on their communities in order to support their, their for-profit uh, companies that are in the area, yeah. you know, and really focus and concentrate all of the energy on, on trying to, I don't know, I've seen, I've seen some weird programs. Like a lot of communities are really trying to focus on how to get people from where they're at to the existing stores. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, does that make a lot of sense though? Okay, so so let's say so let's say there's fifty thousand people in downtown Reno that can't that don't have immediate access to a grocery store. Does it make more sense for us to try and find a logistic solution to get fifty thousand people out to an outlying box store week in and week out, like every week or every month, trying to get them out to there and then trying to get them back with their food? Or does it make more sense to build a brick and mortar solution so that they so that the food access is right there? Well, I guess I guess for me, in my opinion, I think the reason why they would do that is, I guess, the easier way out. It's not though. I feel like, for example, yeah. I feel like, for example, you ever see those uh, restaurants, what <laughs> grocery stores, where where they provide transportation for people? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why, because they feel like it's easier than having to create another grocery store that's closer. It's easier in the short term, but in the long term, yeah, it is easier in the short term. But, I mean, if if the cost of a bus. Or two buses, or five buses, or ten buses, or however much it, it takes to actually get that level of the populace out to the stores, is you know in the short term it's it's cheaper, but in the long term it's not. I mean, you've got uh, I, I saw one program that's popped up. I can't remember what state it's in, but uh, it, it, they're uh, the, the the city or the state is actually sponsoring lift rides. Mm-hmm. So you know people can go order a lift, and they get this car comes and picks them up, and they go out to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And then they order another lift after they get their groceries and the car takes them home mm-hmm. and, you know, then they've got their groceries. Mm-hmm. Well, think about the, the cost to the community of that program. So Lyft, Lyft is going to take their, their cut, right? And the driver is going to take their cut. And somebody's going to have to pay for gas for that vehicle. And so all of these costs add up. And if you think about this multiplied over twenty or 30,000 people, over a month, over a year, over 10 years, you're adding a lot of uh, transportation into the system. Like you're actually increasing the amount of, of cars on the street in order to get these people to, to the stores. Mm-hmm. You're increasing the CO2 emissions. You're increasing you know, the damage to the environment. You're creating more problems by trying to create a solution that involves more traffic going through the community. So again, long-term, I mean, you know, our society is really bad at thinking long-term. That's that's really one of the problems that we're dealing with is our, our, our communities don't want to think five years down the road, 10 years down the road, or even one year down the road. They want to think, okay, how can I fix the problem right now and make it go away or at least make it appear to go away? Mm-hmm. And so they put these, these, these situations in place. And what ends up happening is, I mean, one, you're, 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 you're causing more, you know, kind of bad stuff into the environment. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the programs may not last. The money may run out. You know, what happens uh, three months down the road when the money's out and the state doesn't want to authorize additional revenue? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that, that program's done now. Mm-hmm. So that's why I want to encourage communities and, and, and people to really kind of focus on efforts like what, what we're doing, creating permanent solutions, creating that brick, and, that brick and mortar location. And once it's in place, it's going to pretty much operate itself. You're going to have, you know, the staff in place. You're going to have your relationships with your wholesalers in place. Once you get all of that in, in place, then everything kind of flows and, and kind of creates a, a solution that doesn't necessarily have to be constantly refunded and, and re, you know, kind of uh, initialized over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have 
20 or 30 or 100 or 50,000 moving parts running around to try and, you know, try and get people to where the food is. You just put the food where the people are. Mm-hmm. 86% of all healthcare costs in the United States are due to preventable food-related diseases. Mm-hmm. So if you think about uh, the amount of, I mean, you know, just, just, just talking about money, not even talking about lives, you know, youth are experiencing diabetes in twice the rate than they were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, kids as, as young as eight are dealing with diabetes. Mm-hmm. And that's primarily due to the food that they're eating and the food that they're being exposed to in their household and in their communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, heart disease is at an all-time high. It's, it's beat out smoking is the number one killer in America. Mm-hmm. You know, strokes, hypertension, all of these different things, the major killers, it's all food-related. Mm-hmm. And it's all based on what we're putting into our bodies and what it's doing to our bodies. You know, what the what the preservatives and what the the um, you know just the negative aspects of the food that, that we're getting our hands on is 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 pretty. You know, it's bad. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I, I I saw a statistic that said that uh, you know over two thirds of Americans are considered obese now. Mm-hmm. So that's really the impact that we're going for. You know, we're, we're talking about major systemic problems and the healthcare costs in the U.S., this is taking up a greater and greater percentage of our entire GDP, you know, mm-hmm. gross, gross domestic product. Uh, you know, we have the amount of money that goes into the country and then we have the amount of money that goes out of the country and the percentage of expenses that our country is pushing towards healthcare is increasing exponentially year after year. And so if we can't get a handle on this, if we can't figure out a solution to be able to get people kind of on a, on, a, on a smarter track and a healthier track to be able to take care of their, of their own kind of needs and their health needs and the needs of their kids, then, you know, I mean, the writing's on the wall. You know, this is, this is already, a major, we're in the middle of it. You know, this isn't something that's like down the road or whatever. We're, we're in a major epidemic. Mm-hmm. And by and large, if you look around and, and if you do your Google search and if you go through and, and try and educate yourself and, and, and learn and, and understand how to improve your life and how to make a difference, the information is not really out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if it is out there, a lot of times the barriers are so high for people that even if they know what they should be doing, it, it, it's, it's, it becomes almost impossible. It becomes something that like, how can I do that when I've already got X, Y, and Z dealing, that I'm dealing with? Mm-hmm. So w- what our job is, I guess, is to figure out ways to make that process and that decision easier to make on a day-to-day basis and on a minute-by-minute basis. You know, if you've got food in the fridge, if you've got food in the pantry and and you don't have any time to cook it, then you might as well not have any food, right? But if you've got, you know, some meal planning techniques and you know how to batch cooking so you can make a meal on Sunday and have it stretched throughout the week, then you have options for like when it's Tuesday afternoon and your kids are getting home and your spouse is coming home and all this stuff's crazy and you got appointments and you got to run back out the door and you've got soccer and you've got all these different things happening and all you've got is about a 15 minute window, but you've got some stuff that you prepared earlier and that you have ready and all you got to do is build something, throw it on a plate. Here you go, kids. Let's get out the door. Boom. Now suddenly you start, you start having a little bit wider of a vista and a little bit more view about what your possibilities are and what can be done. And so that's kind of the, when we talk about the tools in the education, we're talking about, you know, kind of the tools in our toolkit to be able to pull out and say, okay, you know, I know how to, you know, make a slow cooker meal and, you know, I can make twice as much as we need for a meal. And so I can put some in the fridge or maybe I can put some in the freezer and pull it out later. I know how to take a a burger and break it up and put it in a a lasagna. Mm -hmm. You know, I know how to, you know, I, I know other things that this food is good for so that it's not like, okay, well, you know, we got four people and I got five burgers. What do we do with the fifth burger? Mm-hmm. I guess it's trash. 
that that's kind of the mindset that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Did that at all answer your question? <laughs> I, mean, I, the, I think the, the, the one commonality of our podcast is that we're going to go all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the movement is that we all need to do everything that we can possibly do to make a difference. Definitely. And, you know, what, what my wife and I determined is that, you know, coming from the entrepreneurial world and coming as, as successful business leaders in the community, we have skills that we can put into place to be able to create business-based solutions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, we started about, what, four years ago now, and we quickly found out that these solutions don't exist, largely. And, and the, you know, we, we're really kind of starting from scratch in a lot of ways, but to us, this is, this is hugely important. It's absolutely critical for us to be involved because we want to make a difference and we want to not reinvent the wheel. You know, we don't want to do things that everybody else is doing. I don't want to make another food pantry. You know, we got plenty of food pantries all over the community. The problem is that, that people going to those pantries and getting food, a lot of times they're, they're throwing some of the food away because they don't know how to cook it because they don't have facilities. They don't have resources. They don't have tools at their disposal. And so, you know, that, that, those resources get wasted. You know, a lot of times they do. Um, you know, same thing with the grocery store. If somebody doesn't have, you know, you can have all the food in the world on the other side of, of the city, but if you can't get to it or if you don't have time to get to it, or if you bring it back to your house and then you don't have time to cook it and eat it and it ends up going bad, then, then you know, what's the point, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, we've, we've got to, as a community and as a society, we've got to change our mindset and move in a direction that, that really kind of sees the bigger picture and really kind of sees, okay, the long-term benefits and the health of my family depend on me being empowered and in, in, in understanding better the tools that I need to have in order to be able to, to create a healthy environment for my, for my family. Mm-hmm. That's, that, to me, is kind of the central why. And I've you know, spent a lot of years doing that for myself and for my family. And I've gathered these tools and these techniques and these educations and, and you know, all of these different components. And I want to share that with other people. Mm-hmm. So that's my why. Yeah. I agree. And, uh, you know, university students came up with, uh, this was a couple of years ago, we had some interns that were working for us. And, uh, uh, they you know, they unilaterally said, hey, you know, this is, this is really part of the bigger movement you know there's a there's a global social movement towards greater health and and greater food access and equality and they said you know we you know this organization needs to be part of that movement and we said no okay you know we all kind of took a vote a vote as a board and we actually made it an official decision that hey we got these students are saying that we need to be that we need to be part of the movement not just a a, you know not just a mechanism you know not just you know a nonprofit. we need to be part of you know the the part of the solution and, and, and part of really kind of the driving force and the motivation and, you know, everything that goes into that. And so, so that's really kind of where we're coming from is like, hey, you know, we're, we're shining a light on a path that we've, that, that we're still finding. It gives higher purpose. Yeah, it is a higher purpose. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of where we're coming from and that's our why. So what's your why? You know, talk to us, let us know. And what's, uh, you know, what's your motivation? What's, uh, what's holding you back? Uh, where do you want to be? You know, what, 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 uh, you know, you, what kind of benefits do you want for your family? What are, what are some of the tools that we've been talking about in our podcast that maybe can work for you? You know, that, that you can say, Hey, you know, I can, I can see that, you know, I can see it having a, a store available where I can get food or, or, Hey, you know, I, I, I don't know how to use an Instapot, but I've heard about them. You know, what's the deal? Like, let's, let's talk about these tools. Let's talk about these methodologies and these techniques and these educations. Like, okay, does anybody know what meal planning is? 
you know, some people do. Some people kind of have a vague general idea. It's like planning out your meals, you know, putting it on a calendar. But what about, you know, when you buy at the store? You know, if you do you buy for the entire week? Do you have your meals planned out? Do you know so you know what ingredients that you're getting so that you're not buying too much and just having a bunch of stuff that's going bad? You know, these are all things that, you know, we need to be smarter. You know, as we're moving into the future, um, you know, things are going to be coming to a critical pass. Uh, there's, you know, the, with climate change comes uh, uncertainty in the growing areas. So, you know, whether it's American heartland or whether it's South America or whether it's, you know, wherever you're getting your food from, uh, food is going to be harder to grow going forward. And there's going to be different areas that'll become hotter that certain types of food won't work in anymore. And so we need to start thinking right now how we're going to weather this, this problem and how we're going to adjust to the reality of the future in, in a climate uncertain atmosphere. And one of those things that we can do, and, and really one of the biggest things that we need to focus on as a community is figuring out how to make our community more resilient on having uh, localized food systems where we know where the food's coming from in, in our area and it's not coming from around the world. Um, so, so that we have a better understanding and a better idea of how to utilize these scarce resources so we can have better efficiencies. So we're not wasting as much food so that we can use more of it because as this stuff goes away, you know, we don't want to be fighting and, and setting fires to each other and stuff like that, trying to be able to get scarce access to food. We want to be able to work together and to create these solutions. And I'm, I'm hoping that as we continue forward with this podcast and as we continue forward with our, our, our you know, our, our efforts to connect with the communities and, you know, we're getting all our channels from Pinterest to Instagram, to podcasting, to blogs, to everything that we're doing to reach out is, is, is that one goal in mind is to, uh, is to, is to get everybody's imagination and everybody excited about the fact that, Hey, we've got solutions, we got answers and we're coming together to make those and, and to, uh, to figure out what they are. We're talking to each other and we're sharing them as much as possible. So let's do this together. This can be done all together. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Uh, you guys have a great day. Somewhere we need to put a, a break. <laughs> Somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs>